0: This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station.
1: The BFM Breakfast Grill, connecting you to the top people and ideas. Powered by U Mobile. 5G now with you.
0: I'm Wong Xiaoning and this is The Breakfast Grill. The semiconductor industry is worth US $580 billion and has become a key part of the trade war between China and US. Now to help us unpack why the two biggest economic and political superpowers want to control these tiny fragments of silicon that literally power our daily lives is our panel today consisting of Datuk Sri Wong Suhai. He's the president of the Malaysia Semiconductor Industry Association and CEO and President of the Semiconductor Industry Association, John Newfer. Gentlemen, thank you for being on the show. Now, first off, disclosure, I think I have to let our audience know that the Semiconductor Industry Association is, of course, representing the interests of US semiconductor companies, right? So with that, I want to begin with an outlook. John, how bad is this downturn for 2023?
2: I'm not going to put a number on it from 1 to 10, but I will say, first of all, thanks, th- thanks for, for having us, but I will say, um, you know, our industry is cyclical, and uh, it oscillates from up up and down, and um, basically, if, if um, you're not, like, willing to be on the high wire in our industry, you should get out of the business. So
0: go big or go home.
2: Go, go big or go home. So, you know, we're, we're in a cyclical downturn for parts of the industry. We've seen this for memory in, in particular. But other parts of the industry are do, doing well, the um, so, so-called analog and uh, and the parts of the industry that feed uh, data centers. But, you know, it'll, it'll take a few quarters and we'll be back uh, power, powering along.
0: Okay. So, Datoshi, Shi, let's talk about things from a Malaysian perspective because the Bloomberg Intelligence, they're forecasting this academic downturn will cause this down cycle for semiconductors to last longer than maybe three to four quarters of inventory correction that we saw in 2018 and 2019. But what are your Malaysian members telling you? Is there less visibility when it comes to orders now?
1: Uh, Okay.
3: Um, Good question. Uh, Can I just go back to the global scene first? Yes, Uh, please. Because the global semiconductor has been growing. Yeah. And now it is forecasted to be negative 4% this year. But you look at the global economic growth, originally forecasted at 3.8%, went down 32 Now they are saying 2.3%. When the economic growth goes down, you expect the uh, semiconductor industry to go down with it. Okay? As for Malaysia, in 2021, we grew export 18%. Okay? Mm. In 2022, we grew 30% over 2021 so it's a two years of good, robust growth. I expect this year to be slower, slower compared to last year.
0: But how much slower? Okay,
3: I can't really forecast how much low, mm. slower. But I think you will follow the trends of the global uh, economic growth and the trends of uh, um, the uh, projection of semiconductor growth.
0: Yeah, John, you wanted to say yeah, something. Yeah. So
3: else. for
2: for for the foreseeable future, for the uh, next few quarters, we're we're gonna ha- we're gonna hit. Ha- have uh, a a downturn Mm. but the growth growth prospects for the long term are excellent okay Uh, some some are projecting our 500 billion dollar industry by 2030 will be a one trillion dollar industry
0: double literally but what's going to be driving that growth i mean is it going to be demand from fast-growing segments like hyperscale data centers or because there is concern that that might wane and even autos might wane in the future you know what's your view john i mean what all, a-
2: all of the above 5g internet of things uh quantum quantum computing um it, it's just um just about every part of our daily lives is now somehow touched by semiconductors mm-hmm. and I, I, I just think if you, if you look at the long-term trends it's a it's a very bright future for our industry
0: is it you the know, same case yes there's so
3: much data been generated you know today for everything, whether it's security, car, whatever you, you can think of. Well, so much data, they need to be processed. And therefore, you need semiconductor to help you process, like AI, chip, and so on to help you process data. So I see it as, uh, you know, as what John say, uh, a very good growth out in
1: time.
0: Even in the longer term, right? Even in the longer term. So going back to this topic about feast and famine, like you say, the cycles, right? Uh, where things are incredibly good for the semiconductor industry and then not so good. Why is that the case? Is it because just just semiconductor companies, they get greedy, they look at the future, and then they overbuild, and then there's suddenly too much capacity? John, what do you think? It's
2: extremely hard to project where we're going to be a year or two from now. But the leadership of our industry kind of has to do that. And sometimes the calibration gets off. Um, But it, it takes a few quarters to correct, and that, that's just the nature of our industry. It's become a little bit less of a roller coaster than it used to be. Um, like I said, some parts of our industry now are in a downtar- downturn, but other parts aren't. It used to be the whole industry just went up and down. Uh, mm. And as it, as it suggests, the kind, of, we really, the, kind of the biggest indicator for us is economic growth. When that, economic growth is, is powering along, we're powering along. When, it, when, it's, when, it's, when it's looking like we're dipping into recession, we're kind of following that.
0: Okay, and against this backdrop of this global growth slowing and even a probable US recession, right? I think that's still up in air whether it'll happen. We did see this rare bipartisan move. Congress passed the, it's a very long act, the full name is the Creating Helpful Incentives to Produce Semiconductors and Science Act but I think all of us call it the Chips Act that was passed in August it's a significant piece of legislation that directs 280 billion US dollars in spending over the next 10 years so that US remains at the top of its game and reduces its reliance on foreign countries now John this is a question for you does this act achieve its objective is this what the U.S. semiconductor industry wants?
2: So we were a huge champion of this effort. Um, and I'll, I'll say that uh, there's, it's doing doing one thing we think very well, uh, and we expect implementation to go well. Uh, it's, it's addressing a vulnerability in America, and that is we don't manufacture enough semiconductors anymore. In 1990, we manufactured about 37% mm. of the world's semiconductors. That's down to about... Ten or 12 percent the pandemic i think showed us all in malaysia in the us around the world how important chips are to yeah. our lives and um and I, I think with these with these with these grants and tax incentives that come with the, uh, the chips act that puts it, puts us back in the game the rest of the world um, in, in our ecosystem central governments have put manufacturing incentive in place For decades, the U.S. government was not doing that. And as a result, our manufacturing declined. So that's one thing we are doing. One thing this CHIPS Act is not doing, it's not decoupling ourselves from the global economy. Um, I think everyone in the know in Washington recognized that CHIPS The chip industry is a global industry. We can't do it all on our own. It's all
0: super interconnected, It's all interconnected,
2: and we need uh, friends and allies like Malaysia, which is very, very strong in parts of our supply chain, to be even stronger, particularly with rebalancing of supply chains that's coming off of the... Off of the uh, off of the pandemic and emerging geopolitical tensions.
0: Yeah. Okay. I'm going to come back to. I
2: figured you would. Yeah. The geopolitical
0: <laughs> tensions in a minute, but I want to get Datuk Sri's point of view. So a lot of this chip act, you know, in my mind means onshoring back to the US. Now, what does this then mean for the Malaysian players? Are you concerned when you when the chip act came out, Datuk Sri? Were you like, oh no, this is going to be bad for the Malaysia semiconductor industry?
3: Uh, no, I don't think so. I think it, the chip act actually. Encouraging is encouraging the companies mm. to grow. Okay, and the, and the, as you say, the projection is growth in semiconductor. Yes. So what they are positioning is to do it onshore instead of doing it in Singapore or Korea or somewhere else in so the, yes, in the world. So yes,
0: money that could have come to us is going uh, back yes, to the US. Though. Okay.
3: So we are strong in the so-called assembly test area. If fab is uh, more fabs are installed and been built, then we have to expand. You know, to support that volume that's coming out from fab so we have our opportunities as well but of course you know as a malaysian i would like to see a strengthen the supply chain and go up uh, stream. stream and have fab as well but you know i would hope one company or two companies will come to malaysia so that we can have a complete supply chain and strengthen it even further but the opportunities are there for us
0: okay but even if the semiconductor sector shifts back to the u.s uh, john is the, is is the mm. can the US actually benefit? Isn't labor a big hit win I mean you've got you need electrical engineers, chemical engineers, material scientists that keep advancing this miniaturization, looking for new materials to fabricate chips. Can the U.S. cope, actually? Or, I mean, should it actually relook its immigration policies rather than the chipset?
2: Boy, you're packing a lot into that, <laughs> into that uh, question. Uh, first of all, I couldn't agree with uh, S.H. Moore. And that, uh, that is, it, I think Malaysia stands to benefit enormously from the, the, the rebalancing that's going on right now. Um, I think, you know, we're going to, I think the U.S. is going to focus on advanced logic chips mm-hmm. and advanced memory chips and and less on uh, this assembly test and packaging, which Malaysia is very strong on. So, you know, just by the way, uh, China does 40% of the assembly test and packaging and Taiwan does 20% of it yes. around the world. And I, I just feel like um, as rebalancing uh, occurs, that uh, Malaysia is gonna be in a, a great position to scoop up more of that part of the, of the the, the supply chain.
0: But I have a question about the fact that if you really implement the CHIPS Act correctly, yes, there are going to be some benefits to the U.S. economy from this reshoring, but I also think there are also going to be trade-offs. And immediately coming to my mind is the potential rise in costs, as it were likely to be more expensive all along the value chain. So, John, is the consumer yeah. the ultimate loser in yeah. this?
2: So, we actually um, had the Boston Consultant Group do a study for us a couple of years ago to try to figure out You know, why the U.S. has not been attractive uh, when it comes to manufacturing, expanding manufacturing capacity. And, of course, there's labor costs, Mm -hmm. there's IP protection, there's regulatory coherence, there's government stability. That's all in kind of the stack of factors that the industry leadership looks at when they're trying to figure out where to put new facilities. The number one reason why the U.S. has fallen behind are manufacturing incentives put in place by governments. This puts us back in in the game now. Mm-hmm. So, so um, you know, once we get these manufacturing incentives in place, the grants start going out, companies start taking advantage of the investment tax credits, we will capture more of the new capacity coming online. People talk about reshoring and onshoring. Well, onshoring is kind of what we're talking about. It's not reshoring. You're, no one's going to going to try to. No one's going to try to take facilities that are already in place overseas okay. and bring them back. It's prohibitively expensive; doesn't make sense. But what we want is to have a bit more of the ma- the new manufacturing c- okay, com- so com- new coming Okay, so new market online. share. Yes,
0: but. You you didn't really quite answer my question. Will the consumer lose out? Though will things just become more expensive?
2: I I don't think so. I I think that um, there's there's uh, just so much uh, potential for market capacity growth around the world. And the fact is, we're just gonna. It's not necessarily gonna cost more in America. Mm. It's just gonna level the playing field so that America becomes attractive again.
0: On the breakfast grill this morning is our panel consisting of Dato Sri Wong Siew Hai, president of the Malaysia Semiconductor Industry Association and CEO and president of the Semiconductor Industry Association, John Yu. After the break, can Malaysia benefit from this so-called semiconductor co-war BFM
1: 89.9. You are listening to the Breakfast Grill brought to you by U Mobile. 5G now with you.
0: BFM 89.9. Welcome back to The Breakfast Grill and the Hot Seats this morning. Dato Sri Wong Hai, President of the Malaysia Semiconductor Industry Association and John Newfer, He's the CEO and President of the US Semiconductor Industry Association. Now, before the break who is winning the US-China chip war and are there really no winners? Is it the, the consumer that loses out? Uh, but I think I want to bring the conversation back to Malaysia. So can we capitalise on this chip war and of course the other restrictions that the US has imposed? Dato Sri, what... Where are the benefits? Are we already seeing that? And I want to know really in terms of money, you know, in terms of KPEX, <laughs> in terms of bill of investments, because that's what really counts.
3: So, so let's take us back to the last two years when we uh, had the pandemic and there was a severe shortage of semiconductors. Mm. What happened? So all the companies in Malaysia are all expanding. And in spite of the forecast of some slowdown coming up, none have stopped their expansion plan. There are some delay, but a lot of them are on schedule. So, which means that, you know, everyone is expecting that uh, upturn to come back up. Now, the immediate impact of this China-US trade war is this opportunity where there are some companies in, in China especially US companies, they have to move their volume out of China. And that's where we benefited. So there are companies already benefiting. Mm. Even though the uh, world is showing a slowdown, but some companies are growing in Malaysia purely because of this. So we want
0: to be the China plus one.
3: We want to be China plus one, not only China plus one, we want to be US plus one as well.
0: Okay. (laughs) Uh, Which then begs the question, John, since you represent the US semiconductor industry, does Malaysia have the right policies in place, so much so that this is a destination of choice when it comes to setting up a, a plant?
2: Great question. So we, uh, this is a last stop in a five-country, six-city, nine-business-day tour de force of World the region. Wind. Yes, of the region. We haven't been back here for a long time. So it's been a great um, opportunity to kind of compare and contrast uh, where different countries are in thinking about trying to capture more opportunities as supply chain rebalancing uh, gets underway. And, and I will say that my high-level impression is that everyone is going to benefit in the region. I think the pie is getting bigger. As I suggested by 2030, we might be a trillion-dollar industry. That means the pieces of the pie are going to get bigger, too. And I think Malaysia's piece of the pie it is going to get bigger but I will say that there is more energy to in this effort in some countries than there is in others
0: and what do you mean by more energy just in terms of more incentives I, I would just
2: it- I, I would say that um, my, my recommendation has as we've talked to different government officials and, and industry representatives is governments really need to focus on this need mm. to have uh, Kind of a singular voice, um, a single a single window to talk to industry, and 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 put clear uh, clear stack of incentives in place. Look around the region, see what others are doing, and make sure that you can meet and better what others are doing. To ensure that uh, you can take advantage of, of what's coming.
0: Okay, so if we look at specifically in Malaysia, what what are we lacking in terms of policies then?
2: I, I, th- I mean, you, other than the singular so, voice. So like- so Malaysia has strong policies, I, I no, no doubt about it, and that's why uh, our industry is so strong strong here. Yes. But I but uh, you know we're we're just we're just going to have some meetings with government uh, late later this afternoon, but but my 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 recommendation is the government government needs to focus like a laser to make sure that companies that are already here are taken care of as they're thinking about expansion plans and and that companies that, are th- that n- new companies mm. in the you know companies thinking of coming into Malaysia are also al- also courted the reality is there is a fierce competition going yep. on in the region and if you're not kind of self-organised, and if you don't have the, the incentives in place, you're not going to be able to, to take the fruit off the tree.
0: Okay, and uh, Dr. Sri, when you speak to your members in Malaysia, what do they think is lacking? I mean, what kind of policies would they want actually from the government, so I, from, I, a, from a local's perspective?
3: I think, first of all, I agree with John that uh, the competition is very fierce in the semiconductor area. And Malaysia need to recognise that we cannot just sit on our laurels, even though we have been doing very well in the past years. Um, But today, uh, that is number one is the war on talent. Everybody wants the best talent in the world, and we are losing about fifteen to twenty percent of our talent to other countries like Singapore, US, and everywhere else. I mean, how do you fill up that hole? Yeah. So we need policies to take care of that. Uh, First of all. Uh, We are trying to encourage the government to allow foreign students studying in Malaysia to work in Malaysia. Just give them the first two years without any restriction if the company wants to hire them. And later on, if the company wants to hire them, give them the employment pass. We need talents. Not only that, we need to attract talents from other parts of the world, including Iran, Pakistan, and wherever Indonesia, wherever talent wants to come to work in Malaysia. We have the good jobs that many other countries don't have in the electronics industry. Therefore, attracting them should be a, a plus. Okay? Mm-hmm. So that's one. Try to figure out how to go on the higher value added stuff like in design and development, embedded system design, fabs. So we are encouraging more companies to go into design and development. So, for the first time, we have a first company in Malaysia doing an IC product design. IC product design, not design services. And I hope this company will be a role model for other Malaysians to come out and compete in that area. So, this is another area whereby the government can incentivize people, engineers like this to come out and do something on their own. We have been focusing on FDI. We need to develop our local champions. Okay. Uh, we have design development and development. Can I continue? Yes, please. <laughs> okay. And also uh, in automation. We are very strong in automation. We just need to promote our companies to the world that we can. We are capable of delivering automation solutions for semiconductor industry, for electronics industry, and so on.
0: Okay, but Dato Sri, look at our past, right? Uh, we had, uh, of course, we still have Siltera, owned by Kazana, right? Mm-hmm. And they were one of the few semiconductor wafer pure play foundries in this country. But... I think commentators say, you know, they can't even compete with the big boys, right? Who are already developing, what, three nanometer technology. So how can we realistically move up the value chain? Not just be seen as a low cost center focusing on outsourced semiconductor assembly and test, burn-in packaging. We need to do more, yes, right?
3: Yes, that's why I said uh, we need to go up the value chain. So the one strategic area is design development <coughs> where the barrier to entry is lower compared to fabs. Okay, so first of all, before I answer your question, I need to declare that I'm a director of uh, <laughs> Okay, <laughs> So you can understand that Siltera, for whatever reason, for the last 17 years did not make money. Yes. And when we was taken over, okay, first year we turned it around. Okay. Now, this segment of uh, whether technology is not very advanced is still needed in the market. And in fact, there are other countries that have l- lower uh, technology note than us than Silterra, mm. but still needed. So even though US want to go to the 7 nano, 2, 3, whatever nanometers, they are still needed. But what I would like to see Malaysia doing is to attract FDIs, maybe not in the uh, 7 and 3 and 2 nanometers, but maybe in the 28 nanometers. If they can come here, 28 to 40 nanometers, it's still good enough for Malaysia to get their uh, experience. And before more new fabs and more new technology fabs can come to Malaysia. We need to start somewhere. Okay. So we have one, one in Sarawak, one here, but we can do more. Yes, John. Yeah, I couldn't agree with S.H. Moore on this. Um, the reality is these
2: leading-edge fabs for logic and memory that are going for super, super advanced chips, they cost $20 billion. And they are big, big, big stakes for the companies. And they're probably only going to be manufactured in the – uh, 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 present in the foreseeable future in countries like um, the U.S., South Korea, and Taiwan. But let's not forget that the chips short chip shortage we had was largely driven by shortage of these mature technologies. Because
0: it was consumer products, trailing, right? Yes,
2: trailing edge chips that SH is talking about. Mm-hmm. China is ramping up massively in this area. I think I think Malaysia could look at this area as a growth area as well. These are the chips that are going to make sure we don't have a shortage in the future.
0: On a special extended breakfast grill this morning is our panel consisting of Dr. Sri Wong Hai, President of the Malaysia Semiconductor Industry, and John Newfer, his counterpart in the US. Um, after the 8.30 a.m. news bulletin, China, BFM 89.9.
1: You are listening to The Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile. 5G now with you.
0: BFM 89.9, welcome back to a special extended breakfast grill. In the hot seat this morning is Datuk Sri Siew Hai, President of the Malaysia Semiconductor Industry, and his counterpart from the United States, John Newford Before the 8.30am News Bulletin, can Malaysia benefit from this new tech cold war? Now, gentlemen, I have to talk about China. And I'll start with you, John. In how do you think the Chinese have reacted and how have they actually reacted to the CHIP Act and all these restrictions? I mean, some of your members have significant facilities in China and it's still a meaningful market. And a fact acknowledged recently by David Zinsner, he's the Pres- executive VP and CFO at Intel. So can American semiconductor companies afford to walk away from this big market?
2: Yeah, let me just uh, back up a little bit. First of all, we don't actually have uh, extensive capacity in the Chinese market. Uh, there's, I think, one existing front-end fab there. Mm. Um, and the, the our, our, our exposure to China is that about 35% of our sales go to China. Uh, that's a little deceptive because about half of those sales are chips that go into – Go to companies like Foxconn and go into go into electronics products and get shipped right right back out. Yeah. But you know your question about can we walk away from the, the China market? Uh, a- absolutely not. It's it's a huge it's a huge global player,
0: second largest economy in the world, second
2: largest economy in the world. Uh, the the um, the profits that come from our sales in China help power our R and D. In fact, our industry is one of the most R&D-intensive industries in the world. We're right up there with pharmaceuticals. About uh, $1 in $5 from sales is plowed back into R&D. And if if, if if those sales were significantly curtailed, it would make it more difficult for us to stay in the pole position in terms of chip innovation.
0: Okay, I'm going to come back uh, to this point in a bit in terms of, you know, then why all this chip war, why all these restrictions, but... Dr. Sri, in, in terms of China, we do know that they want to be self-sufficient when it comes to chips. So, can you give us a sense of how advanced they are? How far off are they from achieving this self-sufficiency? How far are they away from the US in terms of, uh, you know, in terms of innovation. production, innovation?
3: Okay. Um, you know, China has basically no choice. They have to find a solution. Mm. And they have; they are going to search for solution either internally or externally, everywhere else everywhere around else. the world. Who, whoever is going to help them? So, in terms of uh, internally, they have already done a lot of things. You know, I mean, they are putting more money into their talent, more money into their research, and so on. But can they do it? You know, and achieve what they want to do? So that I think is a difficult question. Personally, we believe that they will achieve it. It's a matter of how far out. It is it's five years, is it ten years or even mm. longer? But, you know, the, comp- the system is so complex. Semiconductor is so complex. You may solve one, but you still need another part. You still need another part. There are so many parts to it, including packaging. So, there will be a long process, in my own opinion, for, for China to get there. So, they need help. So, some of them are looking to Malaysia for help where we have the competency, that we can help them, so you know that's where I think they are looking everywhere.
2: End-to-end supply chain self-sufficiency is just not a starter. I, I just, I just don't think anyone, any country trying to achieve that is gonna is gonna end up in a good place. Um, we did so a,
0: U.S. recognizes the need for allies absolutely. across and the so semiconductor value did, we, chain.
2: We looked at this, did some studies. And it would be prohibitive prohibitively expensive for each country, each region mm. to have its own end-to-end supply chain. For consumers, we talked about consumer prices. If this were to happen, chips would increase in cost something like 40 to 65%. So it's just not really a kind of what, what countries should be pursuing.
0: Okay, but at the same time, you know, I'm going to quote somebody, which is the Singapore Foreign Minister, Vivian Balakrishnan, who was just in Malaysia. He said on November 9 last year that Washington's export controls amount to an all but a declaration of technology war. So, Dato Sri, I'm going to ask you this question because we (laughs) supposedly are neutral, right? (laughs) We are really treading a precarious line balancing constructive relations with Washington and Beijing. I mean, both are key political and allies and also major trading partners. Can Malaysia emerge victorious from this? How do we tread the balance then?
3: Well, that's what I said earlier. We hope that we have this China plus one and US plus one and that the one is Malaysia that we can service both. But you see, we have been in the industry for 50 years. We celebrated 50 years last year. Mm. So competency and capability and management leadership we have in Malaysia. So we can support US and we can also support China. We don't have to choose.
0: Do we have to choose? Uh, We don't
3: think we have to choose because China will have to find their own solutions. And that's why I'm concerned about uh, maybe decoupling of the advanced technology and new standards will be established, one by China, one for the rest of the world. And how that is going to play, and hopefully we can play in both because we have the current... Uh, technology and standards. If China comes up with new ones, we'll also support. So I think we have uh, uh, we are in a good place to uh, support both.
0: Okay, but you know, at the same time, John, these restrictions that you want to impose in China, you're also restricting it on your allies, right? Uh, so, for example, like five of the companies that dominate the global market for equipment, three are from the US, one is from Japan, and the other one, of course, from Netherlands. So, realistically, can you dictate to these? to other companies what to do? I mean, it seems very wide-ranging, these export restrictions.
2: Well, you should ask that question to officials in the Commerce <laughs> Department that actually uh, put the restrictions in place. And and the, because uh, these very expensive uh, semiconductor tools that were uh, placed under restriction ha- are loaded up with U.S. intellectual property, mm-hmm. our Commerce Department feels that it has the, the reach to... to um, to uh, put limits on sales to China. Uh, I'll just say that, you know, I don't think anyone really likes all this geopolitical turmoil. Yeah, because it seems
0: to be reflected in the semiconductor industry, right?
2: We are certainly caught in the middle of this. Um, The reality is our government, it's, it's it's the U.S. government's job to figure out what the national security priorities are, and and execute them that's 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 not our role our our role is to make sure the u.s. government understands the implications the impact our industry when these restrictions go into place so that as they're making their decision and Mm -hmm. weighing all the factors they understand what it does to our industry and i think all governments around the world want their industries their semiconductor industries to thrive and prosper um, I, I do think, though, that um, for our industry, uh, given the kind of trajectory we're on, I think we're going to suffer some more pain as, as the U.S. government and potentially other governments put in place uh, similar kinds of restrictions. One thing that's very interesting, and you mentioned this earlier, is that, you know, the Chinese response to these export controls that were put in place in early October has been, has been rather, rather measured. Muted
0: for the moment. Yes, Could it be just for the moment, though?
2: It could be. We don't know. Um, We're very kind of interested in in what direction this is going to go. Yeah,
0: because I've been trying to read the headlines, even coming from the Chinese uh, media outlets, and it's been, like you say, rather measured, but still early days yet. But, you know, John, will people look back at this and think to themselves, hmm, the US, are they the bully here, a dominant power, desperately trying to hold on? to hold a rising rival down? Because even when you look at the restrictions, they're so wide-ranging that they impact their own U.S. citizens who work for the domestic Chinese chip companies.
2: Well, again, I think you should have a U.S. government (laughs) official in here to answer that question. Um, Listen, um, you know, there's been tension simmering and brewing and festering between the U.S. and China for a a long time, and, um, and it's playing out right now in a way that uh, kind of kind of scary for all of us. Yes. And uh, our hope is that the two countries can begin to have constructive dialogues again, so there can be safety valves and hopefully take us to a better place in the sino-US relationship.
0: Okay, talking about scary, I'm going to ask you this question, both of you'. So is an invasion of Taiwan? which is the home to TSMC, the largest semiconductor company, I would say, is the greatest fear for the semiconductor industry. Datuk Sri, what do you think?
3: I I think that is a very, very serious uh, problem if that happens because it will bring down the whole semiconductor industry. Mm. And we need Taiwan's capability. They're serving the world. It's not just serving US or serving China. And uh, I think that it has betrayed uh, the Carefully, you know, on how you solve this problem. So I like the suggestion just now that says that the two sides need to sit down and have a discussion, constructive confrontation and come to a solution and it's for the benefit of the world.
0: What about you, John? What do you think? Is it, is it a problem? Is it something that keeps you awake at night?
2: Uh you know, I'm I'm not an expert on geopolitics. Uh, I will agree with uh, Sh that uh, it wouldn't just impact the semiconductor industry. I think it would be uh, a huge blow to the global economy if something uh, serious happened uh, in in Taiwan. Um, I can tell you that uh, our in our conversations with the U.S. government in in Washington, uh, lots of policy. Is being put in place, uh, thinking about uh, w- what what may happen, may or may not happen in that part of the world.
0: All right. On that note, thank you for your time, gentlemen, today on the Breakfast Grill. Was Datuk Sri Wong Siew Hai, president of the Malaysia Semiconductor Industry Association, and John Newfer, CEO and president of US Semiconductor Industry Association. I'm Wong Shanning, BFM eighty nine point nine.
1: The BFM Breakfast Grill is brought to you by U-Mobile. 5G now with you. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.